Uh, my name is Heath. I'm the lead pastor here at Reach, and we're going to be jumping into Hebrews today. Hebrews 3, um, 3, 7 through 19. If you want to open up, we'll be there in just a few minutes. Uh, and what I'm primarily going to talk about today is something that no one in this room can tell truthfully whether you're doing it good or not. Uh, and so the only thing that matters this morning uh, is what we can't see, which is your heart. Um, we have learned, I think, in our Christian Southern culture uh, to play nice in Christianity and obey the rules, at least when those that uh, know the rules are looking at us, uh, try to act the part. Um, but hear this. Uh, God is not after your actions. Uh, he's after your heart. And I think sometimes we love God through our actions and what we're doing is to communicate that outwardly and sometimes literally forgetting to give him the one thing that he desires most of all, which is our heart. And so we don't want to try to just please him through our actions. We want to try our hardest in pleasing him with what is on the inside of us, which is the hardest thing that we will do because um, it's something that others don't necessarily see. We, we don't necessarily walk around with our hearts wide open to what's going on. And, and, and most people around us are pretty clueless um, to what's going on. And here's the, here's the bigger dilemma is a lot of times we will lie to ourselves about the condition of our heart. Listen to this out of Jeremiah 17 Verse 9, it says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Anybody in this room, and of course, if you're new here, if I ever ask a question, unless I explicitly say to you to respond or raise your hand, don't. Just it's, They're all rhetorical questions. Anybody in here uh, believe that this text is absolutely wrong? You completely under, understand your heart. You never have issues with what's going on inside of you being different than what you want to be presented on the outside. You know, the truth is what's going on inside of us is typically a war that we're trying to manage. And if we're really good at uh, managing the war that's going on inside of, us, inside of us, people will never know that, and they will only see our good behavior, at least what we present to them. And so what today's text is going to do in Hebrews 3 is challenge the uh, reality of how your heart is actually doing. Not what you want people to think it's doing, but how it's actually doing. And before we get into the word, I want to pray because I believe um, that you can hear this word and, and, and be, well, a lot of things can happen. You can hear this word and be condemned and think, I'm not good enough. I'm not, and that's not my intention, but you can feel that way. Like I'm not going to get to the end that he's talking about. You can hear this word and um, kind of have no effect. Like, oh, I'm good enough. Like, I'm good enough. I you know, don't need anything else. I'm, I'm doing good enough. Or, or my hope this morning is that we can hear this word and understand that he is worth it. He is trustworthy for us to literally bear our souls, give him our heart, and trust that where he's going, where he's taking us, is for our benefit. So let's pray. 
Jesus, we invite you, not that you are not already in here, but Lord, I I just acknowledge uh, my desperation for you in this measure. As we talk about our own hearts, as we um, look at your text in Hebrews 3, as you're referring to the exiles and warning us to not be hard-hearted, not to allow sin to rob us of our life. But Lord, I just pray right now that you allow your word to transform our hearts, that you allow this word, this text today to uncover where our heart truly is. Because the safest place for our heart to be is with you. And Lord, we just acknowledge that sometimes we don't have our heart with you. So Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts to receive what you desire. And we ask your Holy Spirit to do in this room what we cannot do on our own, which is to give us freedom, to give us peace, to give us joy, and to give us hope. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to open up in to Hebrews. Let me give you a, a little kind of background of Hebrews. Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is um, for the most part, assumed to be Paul. That is not 100% clear, but most people would say it was Paul. There's other indications that it was somebody else, but the authorship doesn't really matter. Um, the audience is to, and you look at the title of the book, it's called Hebrews. It was written, that title was not originally there, but the, all the text in it is alluding to uh, the conversation with people that are fully aware of Judaism and the background of it and the text in it, which we're going to see today. Uh, and it is a written to a people that know who God is and a people that really are going to hear chapter three and, and need to hear it. And I believe that a lot of times we in our Christian culture need to hear texts like today. <laughs> and this chapter, actually all of Hebrews is really um, the writer telling the audience that Jesus is above everything else. He spent the first two chapters talking about how great Jesus is and that he's greater than angels. And why would he say that? The, the Hebrews' interaction with God the Father in the Old Testament is through angels. The angels would come and bring messages from the Father and Moses. Moses was the one who acted on behalf of God to help move the people out of slavery and into the promised land, which was what the text we're going to kind of talk about this morning is. In the whole beginning, the verses 1 through 6 of Hebrews, is the author telling the people that Jesus is greater than Moses. They needed to hear that. And I think we need to hear the same thing, that Jesus is greater. Because if he is greater, when Jesus leads us, if we believe that he's greater than Moses, and they followed Moses, out into the desert, and we'll see some of that went really well. Some of it didn't go so well. But he's telling the uh, the hearers of his word that if you're going to trust Moses, and if you trusted angels, trust Jesus, because he's over those. He's greater than them. And see, our hearts in this measure, this is a warning text. For people to not just pretend to be a part of something, but literally 
be a part of something. So we're going to jump into verse 7, uh, chapter 3 of Hebrews. It's going to be on the screen behind you if you've got your Bibles. I always recommend bringing your own Bible in here, whether you're looking at it on your phone or in paper form, um, because it's good to look at the text to familiarize it, familiarize yourself. I literally cannot talk ever. It's like first service, something else. I, you know, there's just things. Um, it's good to have the text in front of you. So we're going to start off in verse 7. So in verse 7, it says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says. And so what's getting ready to happen, he's saying, as the Holy Spirit says, and then he's getting ready to directly quote from the book of Psalms, part of Psalms 95. And, and what's awesome about this is he's not saying, hey, as David, because he says in chapter four that it was David who wrote this, that David wrote this and we should listen to it. He's saying, as the Holy Spirit says, so he is the author of Hebrews indicating that Psalms was from God. It was literally the Holy Spirit speaking it, not just David. And he goes right into um, the second part of verse 7, it says, Today, and this is quoting um, Psalms 95. You can check it out in its entirety later. Um, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. He's saying today. And, and the, th- the great thing about today is today is the only opportunity you have to make any change. You cannot change what happened yesterday if you had a horrible yesterday and you lost your cool or you did something you didn't want to do you cannot change that at this moment you cannot go back in there there is no delorean for the back to the future i mean the, the i used to use that with youth ministry and like they were closer to 1985 back then because that was a long time ago but still you got you guys with me 1985 Back to the Future, DeLorean, Time Machine, Time Travel. Can't do that. And that's is dangerous anyway. You can't go messing with the past. Okay. So today is the only opportunity we have because we can't change tomorrow and we have no guarantee of tomorrow. And uh, uh, yeah, tomorrow. The danger that we have specifically is that we typically want to wait for, well, I'll change blah later. And we, we forget about the power of today. And so he's saying today, like, guys, when you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, like you're hearing right now, because he just said the Holy Spirit says, so as you're hearing Psalms 95, you're hearing the voice of God saying to us today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Today is that only opportunity. And so here is a people that literally saw the hand and power of God. And he's saying, today, learn from their failure. Could you imagine what our lives would look like, what your life would look like, if you literally found people of wisdom? And look, I said this in first service, we got to be really careful. Like when I say take advice of people that are seasoned, like not everything, everyone that is seasoned nice way of saying older not everything that every older person says is the gospel is the great but there are great nuggets if we could learn from their failures a lot of times people will go look this is what happened to me don't fall into the same thing and a lot of times the younger you are you'll go nah you don't know what you're talking about 
And I think the older we get, we realize that there was a lot of wisdom that we just ignored there. And this is kind of what this text is saying. It says, learn from their mistake. Could you imagine if we literally began to look at the wisdom of other people's failures and seeing that this didn't work for them? It's not going to work for us. It's not going to fix our issues. It's not going to fix our problem. And we literally learn from that and moved in wisdom out of what's literally going on. And he's saying, listen to them. And then verse 9, it continues, it says, Where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Um, I have, for a long time, when I was younger, I kind of had this um, false conclusion that if Jesus appeared with me, like I would always get angry when the disciples did dumb things because God was right there with them. Like Jesus was right there, and I would say to myself, if Jesus was here, like I would, I would be zealous, like I would be excited, I would never cut off anybody's ear, I would never deny him three times after he told me that I'm going to do it in less than 24 hours because I'm there in the presence of God. And of course, we see that Peter does exactly what we would have done. And what he's saying to the hearers of this is remember your fathers of old that literally saw the works of God for 40 years. For 40 years. So they, they saw the power of God to free them from their slavery. They, all, they saw all the signs and wonders that led Pharaoh to release them from their enslavement. They saw the hand of God free them from it. They walked through the Red Sea as on dry lands. They saw the waters. And we think to ourselves very naively that if we saw that, we would be better people. Well, the text here is saying, hey, it doesn't matter what you see. Because these people saw the hand and power of God for 40 years. They saw the fire at night that led them. They saw the cloud by day that led them. They saw the manna from heaven that was provided for them every day when they were thirsty and there was no water. Moses, the first time, he got in trouble the second time, the first time tapped the rock and water came out of it and they had water to drink. And in the middle of that, they found fault with this God that rescued them, that was leading them to the promised land. And what should have been a very short journey into the place that God wanted them to go became a 40-year trip. Which I think we'll see in just a second of why it took 40 years. I think mostly that 40 years was, was because of their unbelief. They weren't following God. They were And I think, and this is kind of what I think the text is getting at today, they were following the crowd. (laughs) They weren't following God. Because if they were following God, when they they met hardships and trials, they would be looking to to God uh, in comfort and trusting Him, but they weren't. As soon as something didn't appear to be as it should, they began to grumble and complain, which never, ever worked out with them. And I'm telling you, some of the things the ground opened up, Swallowed people. A little bit later, some serpents came out and started just biting people and people died. I'm telling you, see, we think, I think, like after the first time the ground opened up and swallowed some people that disobeyed God, everybody else would be right in line. Like, I'm, I'm good. Like, whatever you say, Lord, I'm here to obey. That you would wake up in the morning and be like, what do you want from me? But they still saw them fall into the hole. They still saw the snakes come out and bite them. They still saw all these other things. The plagues come 
in their midst, the, you know, they honestly, I believe they were along for the ride, but they weren't gods. I don't think they were, they, they for sure didn't have his heart. They lived in unbelief, which we're going to see as we go on. In verse 10, it says, therefore, this is God, therefore I was provoked with that generation. I was provoked with those people and said they always go astray in their heart. The issue that God will have with us is not our behavior. It's always going to be with our heart because our behavior comes out of our heart. Like, I, I think, honestly, for a long time in youth ministry and sometimes in church, I'm more interested in behavior modification than I am in heart change. Meaning that if you would just behave better, we would be better. The church would be better if you would just act like you should be acting instead of the reality that if your heart doesn't change, you will never, even if you do the right thing, never do it correctly. God's after this. And this is the warning that he's telling them that you've seen, you know, when he's reading this to this group of people, they know exactly what he's talking about. They have not known my ways. They have not known me. See, where was their issue? Their issue wasn't their behavior. Their issue was with their heart. Where is ours? Our issue is never going to be with our behavior because our behavior is a result of our heart. What God is interested interested in is what's inside. In verse 11, it says, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter the rest. The one thing that God was trying to bring them to. The rest that they wanted, they didn't get. And this whole generation died in the desert because of their unbelief. There's only two guys that were over the age of 20 that made it to the promised land. Two. And they were ones, not because of their actions. They were there because of their belief. And they missed out. Uh, their unbelief robbed them of their rest. And I, I believe, honestly, what robs us of our rest and our joy and our peace now is our unbelief. Because we're looking at what's going on in the world and we're looking at what's going on in our life and we're not trusting God, we're not believing that he is. And so then he moves it out of them seeing, hey, look, remember what they did. Remember how they missed it. Remember what learn the lesson from that generation so that you can change. And listen, in verse 12, he tells us what to do. He says, take care, brothers, least there be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. He's like, don't just follow the crowd. Don't just be a part of what I'm doing because it's popular or you feel like there's some benefit for you. Be a part of what I'm doing because I'm doing it. And you're trusting me with it. He's telling them, take care, brothers. And then he tells them in verse 13, which is what attracted me to this text this week. It says, but exhort one another. Every day, as long as it is called today. Remember, we cannot change yesterday and we have no control over tomorrow. The only work, the only place miracles happen, the only place there's change that happens is today. 
that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We need each other because we, like we just saw earlier, we will delude ourselves with how we really are. I mean, how many times has someone come up to you and ask you, how are you doing? And you absolutely lie to them. Don't raise your hand. Sorry, I didn't pre-warn you. I felt the itch of like, Ugh. I mean, that's every single one of us that we have like people go, you go to work, you come in here to church and people are like, how are you? And you could be falling apart and you would never say I'm falling apart. Literally, my life is in chaos and shambles and I don't know what I'm going to do. But you look at them right in the face and you go, I'm doing good. How are you? And they look at you and say, I'm good, too. Imagine what our culture would change if we literally and I'm not talking about like going up to random cashier at Food Lion. And when they say, how are you today? (laughs) That's not probably the place. But like in this community around people that you love and care for, when they ask you how you're doing, you need to have a measure of transparency so that you can have your life changed. I'm telling you, we will hide. We will allow the deceitfulness of sin to harden us so much so that we will look people now, even though we're dying on the inside, and say, we're good. I'm doing real good. I've had a great week. Do you feel that? Like, I I believe that, that God's warning people that gather around his name to not just be there because... Your parents brought you here because it's what you've done your whole life or whatever. Be here for me because I want your heart. It is critical in that to have people around you to encourage you along the way. Critical. First Thessalonians five, verse nine, it says, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, alive or dead, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build another up just as you're doing. We need to encourage. Look, here is the truth. And he's saying, Encourage one another. We need each other. Ephesians 4.29, it says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, only such as is good for building up, as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. I was a youth minister for nine years before we moved down here to plant the church, and there was a season of my youth ministry where I had a a group of core kids, and I was challenged by this text, and I just said, Hey, if if we're going to be successful... And I don't mean worldly, but we're going to thrive in our life with Christ. We're going to have to encourage and build each other up. And and I don't know if you know this, but sarcasm is just like rampant. It's what everything's built on. And sarcasm literally, and it's like one of my go-to things, so I apologize. Sarcasm is literally means to to eat the flesh. So we sit there and we pick and poke and, and destroy each other with our words all in the measure of fun. And so we had this season where they, they, you know, they were part of this little group and, and said, if, if, if one of us in this group says something to you that is not uplifting you and you call them on it, they have to do 10 push-ups. Whether they're at school or at work or in the middle of church or whatever. So we had kids doing push-ups all the time. And I'm telling you, after a while, you stop doing push-ups. Because you're like, my, and this is an easy lesson that we can all learn. Our words have power. 
our words can literally build up or tear down somebody. And, and what if we as the church, because he's telling us, look, take care, exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, because we need each other's encouragement today. And you don't know. Here's the beauty of this Ephesians 4.29. You don't know what they need. If everybody's going to look at you in the eye and tell you that I'm doing great, you don't need you don't know how much they may need a real word of encouragement. I'm not talking about like false flattery. I'm talking about declaring the truth of the word to people in their life. Believing for them something that they can't believe about themselves. You have no idea. Um, two weekends ago, I, I woke up kind of in the middle of the night and I'd been dreaming about this guy that I went to high school. That sounds really weird. Um, and uh, I didn't really know him. I, I knew him by name. Um, and I saw him about a year and a half ago when I went to preach at my church back home because he is he and his wife were going there. Uh, they weren't there when we were there. Um, and I talked to him. But in 25 years, I've talked to him one time. And I literally woke up with his name like on my heart. I, and like two or three times, I woke up in the middle of the night in this urge when I woke up with his name to pray. And so I'd wake up. I heard, his, you know, I was thinking about him and I just said, I don't I don't know what's going on. And I just prayed for him. And this happened like two or three times. And partly um, I work out with a group called F3. And um, three weeks ago, we had one of our packs, which is a person that works out with us that committed suicide. And it is like it has rocked me to think you can you can know someone but not know what's going on. And like I was so burdened by for praying for uh, my, this guy I knew in high school that I, I, I stalked his, not stalked, why do I say weird things? I asked his sister through Facebook, which I'm friends with her, if she could send me his number so I could reach out to him. And I, it's funny, I saw her see it, because you see that on Facebook, like that they see it really early, but she responded for like hours. I'm sure she's like, she didn't talk to me either in like decades. And she's probably like, I mean, she knows who I am and stuff, but she's like, why does he want your number? So I'm sure she called her brother and be like, do you mind? I'm not sure what this is about. So she sent me his number, and I sent him a text, and I said, hey, blank, this is Heath Cadell. Um, hope you're doing well. I just, you know, I woke up this weekend with your name and a, a, kind of a, a, you know, just overwhelming desire to pray for you. And I was just praying for you on Saturday, and I said, sorry if this sounds strange. I said, but it was too odd for me not to follow up with you. And so, you know, and I said some other things to him and um, he wrote me back and he was like, hey, thanks. Always good for people to be thinking and praying for you. And, you know, we're pretty good. And I just wrote on there like, hey, I'm, I'm here. If you, I don't know whether there's something going on behind the surface that he's not ready to share with me. And I don't know what's going on. Or it may be literally just God wanted me to be obedient, but I could not not reach out to this guy. Because we don't understand how powerful it is when we feel. And this is, let me, let me just, let me challenge you. And, and like add some appropriateness to this. So there's a lot of caveats on this. But if you start thinking about people that you don't normally think of. Like names. You just start thinking, oh man, why am I thinking about some? What if you start taking that and just go, gosh, I'm going to just start praying for them. Like, because think, well, maybe the Holy Spirit is putting their name on my heart, so I need to pray for them. Maybe it's reaching out and just say, hey, man, I've been thinking about you. I hope you're doing well. Um, I try to do that as much as possible, like, because I realize that my brain thinks a certain way. And when things happen unusual to me, like they're not normal, like me waking up 
thinking about some guy I haven't seen in 20 years that potentially the Holy Spirit might be doing something. And the beauty is, either way, it's still doing good to me. And so he's saying for us, you have to encourage. So if we're not going to be deceived by sin, we have to have other people in our life that are speaking truth to us, even truth that we don't like. And then verse 14, oh, sorry, Colossians 3.16, here's another one. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms with thankfulness in your heart to God. Admonish one another in all wisdom. That wisdom is coming from the word. And you know what's beauty is sometimes when you're reading in your devotional time, and you'll read a text, and you'll think, you'll, especially if you're reading something and that makes you think of someone, maybe it's an encouragement that God wants to send to them through the Word. And then here in verse 14, it is also in verse 6, which we didn't cover, very similar language, and I'm going to try to use someone else's wisdom because it's, you know, I, I consider this the deep end of the pool, but verse 14, it says, we... For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So listen to this. There's a guy named John Piper. He told on the same um, text. And here, here's something he said about verse 14. It says, but notice the wording carefully here in the verse. It says we become partakers of Christ if we hold our assurance to the end. The condition is future. If we hold assurance to the end, that's future. But the effect of the condition relates to the past. We have become partakers of Christ. So it's clear that the point here is not hold fast to your assurance in order to become in the future partakers of Christ. The point is, hold fast to your assurance in order to show, prove, evidence, demonstrate that you are partakers with Christ. What I think this is saying isn't necessarily like, hey, guys that get on the boat of Jesus, that you may jump out. Like, if you don't hold this assurance, you may jump out of the boat. I honestly believe in this text specifically, because it's talking about those who were part of Israel, meaning they left with Israel in the exodus from um, Egypt, but they weren't part of God. Because you see, they, they, they missed the promised land because of unbelief. That unbelief, I believe, was always there, because you see it from the beginning. Even at the beginning, when, when they got punished by the straw being taken from them, they would grumble about, oh, you're making this harder on us, Instead of trusting that God's leading them out of that. See, I think it's good to wrestle with these things. But I believe that the confidence that we get is the reality that what God is doing in us, he will bring to completion. Uh, Philippians 1.6, it says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I wholeheartedly believe the bigger issue isn't necessarily that you'll leave the faith. I think the bigger issue is that you were never in the faith. And, and I think it's real easy in our American 
cultural Christianity to be in and not of. To be in church and doing church things and saying church words and doing church actions, but not being of God, meaning not surrendered, not trusting, because here's a group of people that spent 40 years walking around the desert because they didn't trust and believe that God would protect them. And he gave them food every day, manna from heaven. Their clothes and their shoes didn't wear out during these 40 years because God's telling them over and over again, trust me. And I believe the word from God this morning is trust me. If you began a journey with me, then trust me to bring it to completion. Trust me to do everything in my power. And that trust doesn't mean we do nothing because you see clearly in 12 and 13 that we have to participate in that. But we need to work it out of what's inside of us. And then he says again in verse 15, it says, as it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And then he goes through and tells about them people again. And these are um, kind of here's the rhetorical questions in the Bible. And then he, he says in verse 16, it says, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? So who heard and what were who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? Was it not everyone because they heard and rebelled? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, those bodies whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to him, to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. They were along for the ride, but they weren't trusting God. And I think my biggest fear as a pastor, my biggest fear uh, as someone who does what I do for a living is that I would be surrounded by people that miss that we, we talk about the love and joy and peace and grace of God and how the fullness of our life is felt and experienced in that. And that, that, that there would be people here that would miss that opportunity. I think that's why in today's text, and, and I'm not here to confuse you, hopefully, of where your security lies. But I'm, I'm here asking you, you have to test and measure where your heart is. Because as we can see, I mean, this was God's people. He rescued from Egypt. And they, they missed. They saw the power of God. They experienced his goodness, his faithfulness and they still didn't trust and they saw it imagine how easy it is for us to feel that same way that wow i mean the the next challenge that's going to come from a friend or a co-worker or fellow student imagine um that that next article that you're going to see the wisdom of wisdoms that we get now from Facebook. The next article you're going to see is going to challenge the goodness of God because it's going to tell you a truth that's contrary to his word. Could you imagine what it would look like if we in today's 
world literally decided we're going to encourage and exhort one another to live in faithfulness with God. I mean, because uh, to be honest, there's some measure of every single one of us that are hiding something in our life that is slowly eroding our life. Because we're afraid. We're afraid of what people will think. We're afraid of what they may say or do when we're honest. But the, the reality is that if God's going to have our heart, which he already knows, he's fully aware, there's no hiding anything from him, he's given us this ability to help each other get to that place. And so what I, I want to do for us today, we're, we're going to, Close in a song in just a second. And what I I want to do with that, and the reason why we do this, is because I believe that God wants to challenge you. I believe that God wants to do something inside of you. He wants to clarify, either either give you a confidence wholly on who he is, and and trusting him and encouraging you, or honestly going, I don't know that I trust him. And the truth is, every one of us teeter on that line of not trusting God at times. You're not an evil, wicked person if you doubt. Those closest to Jesus doubted. We, you know, really get our doubt from Thomas. His friends who he spent time and time with, I mean, he spent three years with, they tell him, we saw Jesus. And what did he say? He told them, he said, unless I see his hands and his feet and see his side, I will not believe. And Jesus, in his mercy, appeared to Thomas. Can you imagine how heartbroken Thomas had to be when Jesus said, come here, Thomas, let me show you. Because he was like, I don't I don't have to. I'm fine. Could you imagine how heartbroken he was when Jesus called him on his unbelief? See, Jesus is aware. And see, what I would like to uh, close in is this idea is what is God trying to do in your heart? What is God trying to expose? What has the Holy Spirit been saying to you about your heart during this message? Honestly, I mean, not like superficially like, hey, how's your heart? Oh, my heart's good. But really, like, how is your heart? Because what God wants for you is so much more than you will ever have without him. I mean, honestly, we'll we'll never be whole or complete without him. And he's literally saying, hey, hey, guys, trust me. And learn from the Israelites who left Egypt under the power and authority of me and still rebelled, and still lived in unbelief. Don't be there. Trust. So here, here's, a, here's a challenge. So here's the one question I want you, while we're closing in worship, to ask yourself is, what's going on inside of you? Like, have I wholly surrendered my heart to Jesus? Am I trusting Him? And I'm not saying, are you having a bad week? But I'm saying, as a whole, are you trusting Jesus with your life and your future and your now? And here's the second, the two other parts after that one is have you allowed people close enough to encourage you? 
Have you allowed people close enough? Jesus had his 70. He sent out 70. He had his 12. And he had his three. The three knew more about Jesus than the 12. And the 12 knew more about Jesus than the 70. Because of relationship. And I believe, I completely believe that God was setting a pattern from us of saying, hey, do you have your three? Do you have those people that you allow to get close enough to you to know how to encourage you? Because if you don't, I believe you're totally setting yourself up for the potential of being hard-hearted for allowing sin to just deceive you completely without having those people close enough to you to be able to speak that you trust. And, and not everyone, hear this, not everyone should be in your three. Okay? The, the three, you need to be very specific who you allow in there. But if you don't have those three, I believe that you're missing out on the potential that you have in understanding who God is now. And so, one, do you have your three? And two, are you living a lifestyle of encouraging other people? Because I think sometimes, selfishly, everybody's like, yes, I want my three. Because I want people to encourage me. I want people to send me cards. I want people to tell me how much they love me. I want people to comment on my Facebook post. I want people to know me. In reality, we, we don't do that for anyone else. So, so are you equally desiring for God to provide you with those three people to, to live in that community that you can encourage one another? But are you willing to begin to do that without it? So if you don't have those three, are you willing to just start asking God to use you to encourage other people? Because if you haven't figured this out, we need each other. Like none of us survive very well on island. Actually, we saw what happened to Tom Hanks on the island. Sooner or later, you'll be talking to a volleyball. You'll name it, have conversations with it. Not good. We need people. And so as we close, as we go into worship, I just want you to ask yourself a simple question. Where is your heart located? And if you have people that are close enough to be in your three, ask them what they think about that. Ask them. Like, are you seeing fruit in my life that would communicate that my heart has been surrendered and is trusting Jesus? And don't take these as a destroyer of who you are. Take these as an encouragement. Like, I want more of what God has for me. Like, I don't want to, the, I don't want to get to the end of this life and, and, and feel that I've missed opportunities. I want everything that I can get out of what God's trying to do in me, but we need others for that. So I'm going to close in prayer. We're going to sing one more song, and just ask yourself here. And the beauty is, right after service, we're going to have people up here for prayer, and so if there's things going on in you that you're, it's at this point that you need to finally go, hey, I need, I need help, I need prayer. Uh, if you don't want to do it today, come tomorrow night, 7 to 8, at the Bernard's house, and just say, hey guys, you, you can, you can, Take over the group in the sense that we that whole group could be just praying for you. Like, what, what if you were just honest enough to say, guys, I need help. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, I just declare that I trust you. I trust you with your word. 
I trust you with where you're leading this church. I trust you with what you're doing with me today. And Lord, I I pray right now for us in this room that we would take serious the the ramifications, the warning that you've given about our heart. Lord, I pray that you would unveil our eyes to see the reality and state of where our heart is. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the security to step forward and acknowledge that my heart needs help. That I need you. That I need a Savior. And Lord, for us in this room that are trusting you, but we've, for whatever reason, have isolated ourselves. And we're allowing, you know, this bigger thing to be hidden inside of us. Lord, I pray that you would bring vulnerability to us so that we can find these people in our lives, that we can, we can learn to have these three, these one, two, the encouragers, that we can learn to live in this place of encouraging other people. Lord, I pray that you would use us to literally be the church. And so, Lord, we, we just surrender um, to you. Lord, show us the good way and lead us into rest. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.